Welcome to My Dog Ate My Book Report, a podcast where two weirdo 30-somethings take turns introducing each other to a formative uh, book-adjacent media thing from childhood the other has never consumed. Uh, I'm Brandon. (laughs) He, him. I'm Ren. Uh, They, he, whatever works. Just don't call me she. Yeah. Uh, And this is our 10th episode, and in the long-standing tradition of our fifth episode. This is another one where we're going to uh, take a slight break from the exact formula for what we talk about on this show and do something that is related, but not a book. Last time we talked about some adaptations of books we had been reading. This time we're not even talking about an adaptation, but rather a... uh, show that is while not an adaptation of something itself meant to encourage reading and writing and things like that Uh, and that is the classic early 90s children's mystery show ghostwriter which i had vaguely heard of but never seen and ghostwriter was my jam i was i was very into ghostwriter um, we had contemplated each of us bringing a sort of educational children's TV show to the table, but we decided we probably had enough to talk about just consuming this show. Yeah, because um, Ghost Rider, one of the things that drew me to it in the first place, um, and that still kind of sets it apart, is that it was a serialized thing. And so each arc was four to five episodes, so... Uh, and we watched the first arc, the first five episodes. So we were dealing with like a feature length amount of stuff, um, even though it was a TV show. Uh, so if you are unfamiliar with Ghost Rider, uh, it was a PBS show um, that's, that's public broadcasting if you're outside the US, uh, done by the Children's Television Workshop in cooperation with the BBC where a group of kids in Brooklyn make friends with a ghost who can only communicate to them through the written word. Um, And then they solve mysteries with help from the ghost, who they call Ghost Rider. That's the name of the show. Got there. (laughs) I I had been curious what channel this this had, had been on. Yeah, well, you answered my question. I, I'm just adding things that we're going to need to edit out because they're useless. <laughs> um, you know, as, as with a, a number of like shows, um, let me go back. As with a number of shows of this kind that were drama ish. I mean, fiction, I guess, but with an educational bent, um, you know, it was also very much about like having a having a multicultural cast. Uh, it, this one in particular is very focused on being in New York. They actually shoot on location in Brooklyn um, and then really taking some time to show a lot of different ways you can interact with the with the written word and 
then it is a mystery show also. And the mysteries don't necessarily have much to do with like books or literature or writing. But of course, they they find many of those things very useful over the course of solving these mysteries, not least because it's the only way they can communicate with Ghostwriter who can uh, like take take words that are written and then like re-scramble them. Uh, and if he's in like a computer or something, he can just outright type. Uh, but o- only the only these kids can see him or anything he does. So that's, you know, he's not just running around Brooklyn doing all kinds of crazy stuff on billboards. That would be cool, though. I thought it was interesting that only the children and select children could see Ghost Rider's writing. And I really had assumed they were going to have some well-meaning adult character that could also see it but this was actually a pretty contained the children are the ones solving this whole thing and no adults are required situation i guess we kind of saw this in the hardy boys for example um when we read it because that was like you know a somewhat adult mystery and so the hardys had to get help from their dad uh or they go the route of these uh, mysteries are all like really low stakes, maybe big for kids, but not like the kind of thing that you would see a primetime drama handle. Ghostwriter kind of would go back and forth. There were some that were definitely pretty small in the grand scheme of things, but then there were some that were like legitimate crimes. I don't think they ever solved a murder, but, uh, like the second arc, which I, I uh, remember pretty clearly, um, is about an arson. And like a and like a legit arson, not like a tiny arson, like a, a, a store burns down and it was on purpose. That being said, uh, we watched the first arc, which was a ghost story. And it was a little bit of a low stakes mystery, but you know. Yeah, so the show focuses on the Ghostwriter team, uh, as they call themselves. They do call themselves that. Uh, and aside from Ghostwriter, who is just a, you know, animated graphic, um, you have Jamal, who is the first one to make contact with Ghostwriter. Um, Ghostwriter sometimes hangs out in his computer so they can type back and forth. Uh Linny, who is a girl who likes to write songs um, and very awkwardly bumps into Jamal at one point. And like they could have they could have had those actors do another take or two of that collision, I think. <laughs> they could have had the actors do a couple takes or two of almost every line read. Yeah, I mean, it's it it is a show that has the problem that you often have with uh, shows that have the main the main characters all the people you see the most are children um and then uh alex and gabby who are a brother and sister uh their family owns the store that Linny lives above um and then the fifth uh kid tina only shows up briefly she's one of gabby's friends and she does indeed uh join the ghostwriter team i think in the next arc I forget exactly. Um, she's only briefly in this arc, but she does 
a sea ghost rider pretty soon um and and get added to the team because uh, yeah only certain kids can see ghost rider or his manipulation so it's kind of one of those things that they don't go around talking about like the fact that they solve mysteries with a ghost uh until they realize somebody has seen ghost rider um and it's not clear if it's like ghost rider who chooses who can see him or if there's some other mechanism seeing ghost rider is just basically seeing a floating ball of color uh he, he doesn't have like a human form or anything like that um he says he thinks he used to be a person but like he's not sure either there's a lot of mystery about ghost rider's actual like identity and origin but they assume he's a ghost um because he says that he used to be a person i think my biggest point of confusion about ghost riders the first thing that he says is like help help where are my children and i assumed it was going to be a mystery about what happened to this alien or this ghost's missing children or something i i think that the implication now after watching it is that he meant like where are all of the other children meant to be on the ghost rider team or something like there's like this destiny thing i don't know i was very confused about it it is it is a question that is like not really followed up on in in the bulk of this episode. They treat the mystery of Ghost Rider himself as a thing that kind of continues to be unclear, but that you get little bits and pieces of maybe additional info uh, over the course of the show. Um, but it's not the point of an arc. Uh, you know, because like they're they're serializing each arc in in most of them are four episodes, but the first and last arc are five episodes. So they're already doing a lot of episode to episode storytelling, and these are you know like half hour episodes. Um, and and so there is also a measure of storytelling that bridges the arcs as well, where there's ongoing character uh, plots and stuff. Not in a huge way, but in a way that is still, um, certainly for 1992, I think, kind of uncommon for kids' TV. And that's part of what drew, like always made me think it was a really neat show, is um, because it had that element of like an ongoing story. I, d- I did find that that style of, of episode structure way more compelling than the usual 20-minute child mystery you never really get that in depth into anything so it's not as engaging and they do really try to give viewers ways to solve the mystery along with the team um the the bumpers the previouslys often talk about like having your own case book that you are writing down notes as well like the ghostwriter team is and Whenever they they're solving a code or something written or or whatever, they always have pretty lengthy shots of the piece of paper so you can see what it says, and you can note them down for yourself if if you want to. Um, that was that was definitely like part of the structure it seemed of the show and and part of the intent. Uh, and I do think they had some like merchandise that were like Ghostwriter case books that were just a notebook with a Ghostwriter logo on it. Uh, 
And then I think there were some like various puzzle activity books, which just kind of makes sense because they do a lot of essentially puzzles and activities to solve mysteries. Uh, this first arc had a bit of code breaking. Um, and they definitely try to make sure that if you are a child who has never heard of the concept of a code, uh, you will understand what a code is by the end. Yeah. I, I didn't have a piece of paper on hand, but I did sort of in the back of my mind, try to solve the codes as they were sort of floating by. I only got like part of one, but, um, I do see that the, uh, way that they really emphasize enunciation and repeating things is definitely very useful for children, but it is something that I, as an adult, found incredibly annoying. Yeah, it is a show that moves kind of slowly uh, because of that. And it's certainly a thing that I didn't really pick up on as much when I was a kid. Um, also, I was just like way more patient with media when I was a kid because, you know, what was I going to do except for watch whatever was on TV? Um, well, it's perhaps a, a slightly unkind note that I wrote about the the acting that I didn't really internalize why they did it like this until you were like just now that they wanted you to sort of try to solve things. Clearly, their acting direction was... Make sure you enunciate every word extremely precisely and slowly. <laughs> I'm like, people don't talk like that. Are these bad actors or is it bad direction? But I think it's purposeful. Make sure that children can understand what you're saying. Acting. Yeah, because it is, it is a thing done as educational entertainment. It's not as obviously that as something like uh, Bill Nye. Um, Bill Nye the Science Guy, uh, or like uh, Reading Rainbow. All of those things are various levels of like mixing inter entertainment and education. And Ghostwriter is kind of, at least in my memory of shows that were on PBS when I was a kid, um, Ghostwriter felt like the one that was like the furthest to the trying to look like entertainment more than education end, even though there is a lot of educational content. Um. All right, you used the phrase at one point <sighs> the other day. The combination of those things, what? edutainment. Yes, yes. And as a kid, I certainly could see some of the education stuff, and other things were like kind of disguised well enough to me that I didn't notice. Um, as an adult, there's a lot of moments where I'm like, I don't think I understood that this was trying to teach me something at this point. I might have still learned it, but I don't think I would have realized I learned it. It did have less reading in it than I sort of expected. I sort of expected coming into this 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 show that because it was like a, a child entertainment literacy show that there would be like pitching of specific books. But there wasn't any of that. There was, I mean, there was sort of like pitching of fictional books that they made up for the show, which I thought was very funny. Um, um, so they didn't do all that much reading. Although the reading they did 
I thought was very interesting because one kid was reading video game adaptation books and one kid was reading a comic book. And I liked that those were basically portrayed as totally valid ways to intake reading. Yeah, uh, something... I don't think I consciously noted this as a kid, but definitely something that I find going back to Ghost Rider is that um, it is very much a show that is trying to give you like all of these different ways to potentially learn to interface with language, um, both with writing and with reading, uh, because it does deal with a lot of different kinds of media you might consume and doesn't really speak down to any of those uh, because it's all it's all literacy right um it's very positive about that kind of thing and it's not as obvious yet um but as the show goes on pretty quickly you start to realize that each of the ghostwriter team is like specifically interested in a particular um, kind of writing broadly. Speaking of language, I did find it really cool. This is sort of like a two-part comment. In the beginning, when they're sort of introducing the characters, they uh, they just sort of show show but not tell that two of the characters are bilingual. And they have a scene where Alex and Gabby speaking Spanish uh, with their parents, but they just go back and forth switching Spanish and English and they don't provide subtitles for the Spanish. It was just like, you, context cues, you'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but I thought that I thought that was very real in terms of how families that are bilingual interact it's just like sporadically switching languages all the time which i also thought was just super new york i i, I immediately knew where they all were <laughs> you see a lot of different takes on new york in fiction um just because so much stuff happens there or whatever and ghostwriter i think stood out to me making it feel like a place that regular kids live which i feel like was often a thing that i didn't feel whenever i saw new york in other stuff um and uh they they filmed on location in brooklyn uh yeah which is wild to me because that totally looked like a set it was way too clean to be new <laughs> I, I didn't actually find a ton of like stuff about the making of this show sadly so that some of what i did find might be inaccurate because i didn't find a lot of like corroboration or contradiction so you know that that might be asterisk there but it's at least what the internet claims um yeah i did have one more language note uh i think the other thing they did that was really good was that when they were talking about codes uh, they were very specific when they were talking about trying to crack the code that they were looking for patterns in the English language. When I think a lot of media definitely sort of treats English as the default. And so they would never like specify we're trying to look for this in English. But I think that it's 
pretty important to teach people not to be so America centric. And that was just like a very subtle, like we're specifying this. Yeah. Cause they, they look at the code as possibly. So, um, the plot of this arc is aside from meeting ghostwriter, there are these people who wear these like Halloween masks and they're stealing people's backpacks. Um, and so they're trying to figure out who they are and stuff. And after they steal Jamal's backpack, um, he finds a note later that is like in code when he's trying to, or, oh, right, right. He just saw, yeah. No, they never, they, they didn't steal Jamal's backpack. He f- finds them doing like their weird meeting in the playground. Right. They, they he sees them at night being weirdos on the playground they steal gabby's backpack shortly after jamal starts looking into this and then he gets a note that is threatening but he also finds this coded note at the playground and so they're trying to figure out what the code is about and they first look at it as like are these scrambled words and they really take some time to work through it because jamal is kind of not super familiar with codes and and stuff but alex who likes to read mystery novels and stuff he he swoops in they mention like well now that we look at it for a little while and have explained to kids about the notion of scrambling letters around like this word down here has a q in it but no u and in english there's nothing that we can make out of these letters so it can't be this let's move on to another kind of enciphering um and so that is definitely like a a thing that they they show the thought process for the decoding st- stuff and they do seem to be careful about stating some of the assumptions they're making about the fact that they're assuming the the code is an english code um the uh something else they do which I didn't entirely understand was important as a kid, but which now, um, many years later, after I have done, you know, a fair amount of writing professionally, there's a part where uh, Jamal and Lenny are trying to write a note to tell one of the gang of thieves like not to come to their secret meeting so they can send Alex in disguised instead. Um, And they write the note and then they like look at it and edit it for a while. (laughs) Like they take time to talk about in their first draft, like extraneous words or like, you know, kind of trying to cut the length of the note down or make the note clearer. And like, that's a very important part of writing anything, you know, is that editorial process. And it's pretty rare to see that. There's this process to writing. It's not just that if you're a good writer, you just do it right the first time. And if you don't do it right the first time, you're not a good writer. And that's that's super cool. 
they do a lot of things really right in this show i think that i see nowadays people sort of getting cranky about shows doing and calling it woke like for example all of the main characters are there is there's one white girl uh the sort of like main protagonist um jamal is black and the siblings are you know latinx in some no they don't they don't specify in, in the first arc uh and then the other character who is going to be present more later uh is vietnamese and i i thought that was pretty great it wasn't like a we have three white guys and one token of a couple of different categories it was very more representative of brooklyn than a lot of things i've seen that were supposed to be new york and i, I think Linny is jewish if i recall correctly this arc doesn't make that clear but i th i think she's jewish um she does lose points with me for being white rapper girl <laughs> I mean, I am. I figured she would be in the hole already because she was uh, Ellie in the 1989 Pet Cemetery movie. <laughs> that was very hard for me to ignore. That's all I could see. It was like, we're coming around to episode, I don't know, six, I think it was. I don't know. It's a good, it's a good group. Um. And we see a fair amount of their various family members as well. Uh, Jamal's grandma is pretty much always around. Um, she's a postal worker, as I recall. Uh, Alex and, and Gabby's parents are pretty much always around in some capacity. Uh, Lenny's dad, who is a musician, is is around a lot. Um, not as much I, as I recall, because I think my recollection of later things is that they start to use Linny's loft where she and her dad live as like kind of their clubhouse because it's, I guess, the biggest one um, and has a lot of large tables in it uh, that they can sit around, which is not true of like Jamal's bedroom or the bedroom that Alex and Gabby share. Uh, so I think Lenny's dad is just often not there right now. Um, well, again, as you just said, Alex and Gabby's bedroom, they did a lot of you know, more, you know, showing and not telling about the different family styles that and economic situations that these kids are in. Like Jamal is clearly probably the most affluent one of all of them because he has his own bedroom and they live in all of the outdoor shots of it are just like a a large like freestanding brooklyn house and and everyone else lives in apartments and yeah and at the very beginning of the show his older sister is going off to college um which of course doesn't mean that they necessarily are paying for tuition maybe she got a scholarship or something but like yeah and she gives him her her computer yeah uh alex and gabby share a bedroom and sometimes if gabby is mad she closes the partition between it uh, it doesn't show whether or not Linny has her own bedroom but she is an only child so i assume she does but also that i believe 
my assumption is that he's a single dad because he's making the dinner. Yeah, I mean, that that's all to say that I think they did a lot of things right in terms of how you should portray a lot of this information to children. And I appreciated that. And I, I'm a little sad that I didn't see it when it was on. Yeah. The, the, the thing that, um, the other thing that I really like is that they do take time to give each of the characters kind of their own uh, hobbies that intersect with the literacy angle. Um, Jamal, I think, what does Jamal get into? I don't remember what Jamal gets into. It wasn't super clear in this arc. He was the one that was going through and reading the the video game books to try to find clues about the... Yeah, but it didn't seem like they were for him. But Lenny writes music, and there's only a little bit of time in this first arc spent seeing her working on a song, but she definitely does songs in other arcs. Um, and And Alex... <laughs> Alex reads a bunch of mystery novels and things like that. Gabby, I think they hint at it, but I think she kind of gets into journalism. Uh, Tina, again, they kind of slightly establish this as like doing the sort of film thing. She, she's got the camera from the school and everything. Um, and Rob, Linny was also re- the one reading the comic book at the yeah. end. Yeah. Um, and then, Rob, the the other guy that's added in an arc or so, is gets into poetry. There's actually a subplot that I remember really vividly from I want to say the fourth arc, um, where Rob goes to like this sort of poetry club thing, just like think something at a community center or whatever, where it's sort of a like in a in a classroom. And he makes friends with this homeless guy who uh, writes and sells his poems on the street. Um, And his poetry is like, some of it is talking about the experience of being homeless or, or, uh, you know, just getting by in this place. Um, but I remember it being, I think, very humanizing in a way that a lot of media didn't do. Because, like, he was never characterized as... I just kind of... It stuck with me because so often, even now, but certainly when I was a kid, like, if there was a homeless character in fiction, they were usually like a drunk or depicted as stupid or dirty or whatever like it was never flattering you know and they were usually just kind of essentially set pieces for something to happen to or happen around or as a punchline for something and that wasn't the way that this one went well i don't want this all to just be sunshine and flowers or whatever about how good this was because i definitely do have some gripes but before we get into my gripes before we get into you know talking about the rest of the story which will i think come naturally with some of the gripes i want to know what tiny brandon thought about this and how you came about it uh i don't remember how i 
discovered Ghost Rider. It almost certainly was just something I ran across um, on TV. I watched a lot of PBS as a kid. Um, I would like know what time where in the world is Carmen San Diego came on. That was the main one that I would always come for. <laughs> that um, one was real good. <laughs> uh, and, and when I was really young, you definitely like Sesame Street and Reading Rainbow were like staple parts of my TV rotation. And then as I got older, Carmen San Diego and um, the the math variety show Square One, uh, which is what most people seem to remember the MathNet segment from that yes, show. Yes, yes, yes. Um, which is the, the, the Dragnet parody about math. Which I had no uh, idea it was a parody of anything. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. Um, actually, when I first saw it, I thought it was a parody of The X-Files, and it's not. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't remember how exactly i discovered ghost writer but i think it was probably just it was on tv at some point and i watched some of it and i thought it was neat and then the mystique of this serialized nature was what got me really interested because i think this might have been the first time that i encountered a show doing like the end of the episode is not the end of the story and also i wished i could figure out when it was on more reliably so i could see like entire stories and that was easier said than done. That's why I haven't seen like a ton of full arcs. That's why you needed a TV guide. The TV guide was critical in that era. Yeah, I I pretty much never had TV guide around unless it was like a special Star Trek thing. <laughs> so by the mid 90s, when I was like seven or eight, I got a hold of several VHS tapes of Ghost Rider. Um, there were three arcs that they released on VHS uh, edited back together as essentially just feature-length things. Um, and and I had all three of them. I did not know until yesterday that there were only three of them. I always kind of imagined that they had others for the other arcs, and I just never got those ones. But apparently they only released three. Uh, and one of them was this first arc, Ghost Story, uh, one of them was the second arc who burned Mr. Brinker's store and then they skipped the third arc and then did the fourth arc into the comics. Um, and we watched those a lot. My brother and I watched those three things a lot. They had tie-in novels and things as well, like young reader novels, some of which were novelizations, some of which were new stories. Um, I read some of those. The only one I remember well enough to have described any of the plot to you was one where Ghost Rider like brings these cries for help to Jamal and the others from these other kids who are afraid that there's an alien invasion going on. And as they sort of unravel things, they realize Ghost Rider is somehow traveling through time and he's connected with a couple kids in 1938 who are listening to the uh, broadcast of the War of the Worlds that was... Uh, you know, fam famously uh, taken as possibly true by some people. That was my first encounter, actually, with that story. I, I had never heard about that about that broadcast. Well, um, what was your experience watching it again after so long? Uh, I, I mean, 
the pacing and the acting are both worse than I remember. But that's mainly because I didn't care as much when I was a kid. Um, I still found it pretty okay. You know, I am kind of interested to watch some of the other arcs um, because I do wonder if they move a little more quickly when they don't have to do all of the introducing Ghost Rider to everybody stuff. Um, they, they still, I'm quite sure, take a lot of time to do the like educational part of the show. I, I'm sure that the pacing is always a little bit rough because there's always going to be those times where they take long, long loving shots of someone writing in very neat handwriting on a piece of paper. You know, I bet they didn't bring on Tina yet so that next episode they can explain the whole Ghost Rider thing to a new character. And it's also a recap for viewers. The things I remember liking are still there. The things that I I suspected would not hit as well as an adult didn't hit as well as an adult. <laughs> but I still look at it fondly, nostalgically. I don't feel like it has smashed my nostalgia to bits yeah it didn't have anything in it that i feel like would be horribly offensive or you'd, you'd go back and you'd be like "Ooh, i can't believe i liked that that was problematic uh it, it was good i was very interested in, in the mystery i you know my my gripes were fairly small ultimately i find linny to be the most annoying character I had a very weird reaction at the end when Jamal jumped up and apparent or seemingly in that moment trapped Ghost Rider in a binder and then opened it back up again and it just had some more words and I was like, you just smashed him between the pages of a book like a bad bug. What are you doing? Like like Ghost Rider is a printer or something. If you catch Ghost Rider, he prints for you. Yeah, it was very strange. It's like, you're going to hurt him. No. Okay, he's fine. But it was weird. Well, yeah. So, like like I said, I think I would have enjoyed it as a kid. And I enjoyed it this time, despite the acting and such making me kind of like, ugh. But um, the thing that I have a gripe about is a thing that is not new but was a i think a fairly straightforward thread throughout my entire childhood of media portraying video games as a bad thing that that bad delinquent kids do and so ultimately if if you didn't follow along and watch this this show with us the moral of the story was that the people stealing kids' backpacks and subsequently their lunch money was so that they could train on this video game and beat this video game tournament that was coming up. So it was four kids who were just like obsessed with a video game, a fictional one, which they made up for the show called Double Defenders, uh, to the point where they called themselves, you know, characters out of the video game and that sort of thing. So they committed crimes so they could play their video games and, and that was bad. 
because video games are not as valid as reading, which is not a message I enjoy. Why do they need people's lunch money to play video games? Well, they had to do it on this old piece of technology card called an arcade machine. And you had to feed arcade machines with uh, solid made of metal currency <laughs> called quartz. I don't know. I was thinking about that a bit as we were watching. Um, Jamal <laughs> and Alex hang out at the arcade at one point. And, and that's not really portrayed as a thing they shouldn't be doing or that they're doing to solve the mystery. Jamal just kind of feels like going there one day. And Alex clearly knows a bit about the arcade machines and he's not portrayed as being like, I don't know, a, a, a bad kid who's played too much arcade games. That all being said, um, I, I do think it's fair to come away from this arc with the reading that video games are not on the level of the other things that they're necessarily talking about. I like to think if they made this kind of Ghost Rider today, um, one of the kids could be into making their own video games uh, or something just the same as, you know, a kid get being into film, a kid being into journalism, et cetera, um, because that would be a thing that you absolutely could do today. You know, back then it was not that. Um, that wasn't a thing you could easily do on your own or even do like in a miniature version on your own. And there weren't a ton of video games that at the time that were um, story heavy or writing heavy. Certainly in the US, it would have been still before um, like JRPGs really got a good foothold here and stuff. So, you know, I understand, even if I do wish they had maybe done a little more to be like, these individuals are committing a crime to play a video game, but it's not because the video game makes them bad. It's because they've decided to commit a crime. Yeah, I just thought it was awkward, like the level of obsession that these kids had with the video game i i just remember so much in the 90s about people blaming video games for a lot of bad stuff that was happening like in high schools and stuff uh i remember there being this whole thing after columbine where there was just articles everywhere about how these kids were probably influenced by video games to do this and yeah it seemed not great <laughs> to be someone who really liked video games at that time you're right the the um cultural context would have been that there would be some genuine concern or whatever so i i i do think that not saying anything good or, or whatever is probably not due diligence if they're trying not to portray the medium as a problem. Um, that would have been, it would have been a number of years early for Columbine, but this would have been around the time of like Mortal Kombat, which of course was 
a thing that set off like or was at least part of congressional hearings about violence in video games yeah, i mean even that isn't really like a huge gripe about the show like they did a lot of other stuff really right so overall i uh i thought that was a fun way to pass our afternoon i do have one last question do you want to know what Ghost Rider's deal is here's my guess so the whole thing starts with samuel L. jackson and i'm not kidding uh and jamal in their basement and they uncover this old uh trunk and I'm assuming they had some ghosts associated with the trunk or, or something. Kermit Frazier, who is the head writer of a fairly decent amount of, of the show, um, said later on uh, that Ghost Rider was the ghost of a runaway slave and was was killed by slave hunters. Fuck. And, and that was uh, just something that the show itself didn't oh my god get around to uh to revealing but that uh fraser revealed in uh 2010 apparently so you know he he was the head writer on the early stuff so if anybody knows um he's a pretty authoritative uh you know source but the uh the mystery is never solved in the show um and, and yes that that he he was kept in a or he he was inhabiting a book in that trunk um that that Jamal opens at the beginning and that frees him so you were right about that element of like he was haunting stuff in that trunk and so that's like how Jamal gets in touch with him yeah i don't i don't know peaches uh peaches Peaches, peaches. I don't know. I'm like, I mean, this this arc is maybe like a three peach arc. I feel like I give the show as a whole more like four peaches. I think there's like a lot of good stuff in my brain, in my memory. And this arc maybe has that issue of having a lot of mythology to establish and and stuff that I think kind of, they they get a little better at some of that stuff later and as they as they do more with just the premise and all these different ways to kind of depict reading and literacy i i just it's a good package i think it would be hard to like if you haven't if you weren't alive in the 90s you will wonder why they don't just google things <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty clear with the state of that computer on his desk yeah. that can fit like four sentences on it. Just a solid blue screen. Yeah. Solid blue screen, no cursor, just that was wild. Anyway, I was probably gonna give it a three point five because I don't know anything about the other arcs. I was engaged in the mystery, and I wanna give it bonus points for the fact that they do try to trick you in the beginning into thinking that the thieves might be some sort of supernatural element because they they shoot the kids in masks uh, in darkness and there's a lot of like special effects of them. I still don't know what they were doing. 
but there were like lights and sounds and they were like play fighting or something out in the park. And it was like, are they aliens? So I'm going to give them credit for trying to, to throw us off with the maybe the bad guys are aliens thing. When Alex infiltrates their their secret meeting later on, they definitely have like a lot of. They, they've invented a lot of strange rituals for themselves that hearken to their fandom, like walking backwards to do things and stuff. So like, uh, you know, I get it. <laughs> so before we get into the credits, I'm introducing, since this is episode 10, a new mini segment at the end of our episodes. It doesn't have a better title at this point other than what are we currently reading? Because one of the really great side effects of having started this podcast is that forcing ourselves to go back and revisit these books has, I think for both of us, kind of rekindled this desire that always used to be very prevalent in us to be doing a lot of, you know, hobby reading just for fun. Uh, so, so what have you been reading, Brandon? <laughs> uh, well, as I threatened to do, I have since reread the rest of the Robot Trilogy. Um, you know, the continuing adventures of Elijah Bailey and Ardeniel Oloval, and liked those very much. I, I had remembered the, I'd never reread the second or third book, um, and I remembered them being less engaging than the first book as a kid um i find them more engaging as an adult but they are mostly people talking about sociology in rooms so i understand why as a kid i would have been like what's going why why is this what we're doing <laughs> um but i quite enjoyed those and i read E.L. Konigsberg, Konigsberg, e. Konigsberg's um, other debut novel, uh, Jennifer, Hecate, Macbeth, William McKinley, and Me, Elizabeth, and liked that very much. I'd never read any of her stuff besides Mixed Up Files, and that was a fun one. Uh, Mixed Up Files is more my jam, um, but that one is also pretty, pretty cute. It's got some of the same kind of um, personality. And that's fun. And uh, uh, all of that, also, the, the mystery reading inspired me to finally read an Agatha Christie novel, which I had never done. So I read, and then there were none. And I liked that very much, too. And now I'm forcing you to read Watership Down, not for this podcast. Yeah, haven't started, but I will be doing so soon. I can't wait. I I also continued on with Asimov. I only got as far as the second one, though, because I'm listening. I, I've started almost exclusively, except for the very short children's books, doing things uh, on Audible. Yeah, you spend a lot of time in your cars. Because so. that's just the easiest way for me to digest books at this point with my work schedule. I'm, I do spend a lot of time in my car. Uh And as much as I sometimes give myself grief over it, I have to remind myself taking in books via audiobook is still valid. It's still reading. It's still fine. Um, so yeah, I continued with the Robot Trilogy, and you're right. I, I really liked the second book. 
it gave me a lot to think about. And you're right, the sociology is, is super interesting. The more they get into the the space folks. Yeah. Yeah, the first book is definitely like the most noir-esque of those novels. And so I, I totally understand why as a kid, that's the one I liked the best. But um, as an adult, I'm, I, I find a lot to really, really like about the later ones. Yeah. So I haven't got the third one yet because I'm, I'm waiting for my next Audible credit. Um, <laughs> but I also have continued on with Animorphs because I need to know what happens to Tobias. Because he's the best character. You're correct. Well, you're correct as far as you're aware. I don't know. Um, and in actual paper form, I'm reading Monstrous Regiment by Terry Pratchett because I've never read any Terry Pratchett books. And I'm reading that in actual paper form because I've been reading it while traveling and such. So, yeah. I also think I'm going to go back and listen to Watership Down again just because I love it. But that's nothing new. I've listened to it many times. So what are we uh, doing next time? It's a Rin pick. Right. Yeah. So we're we're swooping back. Swooping. We are, we're flipping back to me, and so the next thing we're reading is going to be The Hero and the Crown by Robin McKinley. We haven't done a just like straight fantasy book yet on this show, so time for it. Yeah. It was, it was not my genre as a kid, so I, I have no fantasy to offer, so this is... Got, got a strike for the iron. <laughs> I didn't get to that point until later. So, the music used in this podcast was licensed by Epidemic Sound. Transcripts generated by otter.ai. We have a new piece to our credits. Our editing is done by the incredibly talented Derek Valen. Uh, check him out on the links that are present in the show notes. And he's got another podcast called October's Children, which is about uh, retro horror in New England because Derek is also a, a Mainer like me. Have a question or comment for the team? You can find us on Twitter at, uh, at DogAteMyBookPod and on Instagram at MyDogAteMyBookReport or by emailing DogAteMyBookReport at Gmail. We'd be super excited to know what books you loved growing up or which member of the Ghostwriter team you find most tolerable. Word. Thanks for listening.